Hello and welcome to State of the Media. I'm your host, Brian Anderson. This podcast gives us a chance to talk with journalism leaders about the industry and its future. This week, I'm joined by UNC alum and current real-time reporter at the Raleigh News and Observer, Abby Bennett. Abby, thanks for coming on. It's great to have you. Thank you so much, Brian. I really appreciate it. So I got to ask, how did you get into journalism and what does it mean to to be a real-time reporter, which is where you are right now? Well, I got my start in journalism, or I was inspired to be a part of the journalism industry um, because of an army brat. And I lived all over the country and my dad was deployed really frequently. So it was often just me and my mom and my two little sisters in a strange town. And the one thing that always kept us anchored to the community and that really helped us feel at home were the newspapers. And so I remember being really small and reading the newspaper on the on the beige carpet around the beige walls in the government housing that we lived in um, and that helping me learn about where I was living and you know connecting me, me to the people there um, and so that really inspired me to become a journalist and so I went to Carolina which has a fantastic journalism school and I was very fortunate to have a great number of mentors and fantastic professors who really inspired me uh, to continue the journalism journey. And um, when I graduated, I worked for a couple of papers in Charlotte, and then I was a city reporter at the Daily Reflector in Greenville for three years before coming to the News and Observer. So did you get started, or I guess a little bit more to your family upbringing, what was it like growing up in a military family, and and how did that help inform your your outlook on reporting? I think that being a part of a military family gives you a very unique perspective on the world around you. I grew up in an incredibly diverse community um, for which I am so very thankful, but I also grew up in an environment of constant flux and constant change. Um, and so, you know, I, I have a great appreciation for stability and for things that make me feel connected to a community. And that's why I had such an appreciation for what journalists did at such an early age. And, um, you know, I, I was also very keyed into international events from an early age because they played such a big role in my life. Um, when 9-11 happened, my father was already deployed. Um, and so I was in fifth grade on base at school and our teachers were not allowed to tell us anything, but a Black Hawk helicopter landed on the front lawn of our elementary school and we were escorted home by military police. Um, and so I had a great appreciation for what the news could do and the effect that it had on my life from really that point forward, certainly. Um, and so it's, it's a very unique environment to grow up in. Um, but well, well, go, it has go, made me just just quickly go going to to nine eleven that sort of spurred your interest in news as a as a young kid. How much were you aware of what was going on, and when did you fully learn what had happened? It was later on that day when um, I got home from school and was watching the news, and then later reading about it in the next day's papers. Um, but that was something. You know, I, I had to pay a lot of attention to the news and I watched my mother pay a lot of attention to the news because the news, especially conflict, 
had a direct kind of impact on our daily lives, you know, whether it was, you know, my dad deploying or while he's gone, you know, knowing what's going on with him because there was so little information that he could share with us. There were many times he was deployed where he couldn't tell us where he was or what was happening. And so, you know, we were always watching the news or reading the news and, you know, wondering, you know, does this, will this have any kind of effect on us or him? Um, and so it, it's really a lifeline um, between military families and their soldiers in a lot of ways. Um, and so that, it's certainly growing up in that kind of environment makes you a very resilient person, which also lends itself to the industry of journalism, I think. You, you said earlier you liked stability, and I was kind of confused on that. I was thinking journalism might not be the best career for stability, <laughs> but, but no, it's providing stability the, to others, I guess. Right, exactly. I love the excitement of journalism. That is one thing that is a huge part of why I'm still a part of this industry is I love coming to work every day and loving what I do, and I love coming to work every day and it being something different um, and exciting. That is very, very important to me. Um, but I do like being a part of, you know, making a community a community and telling its stories and, you know, making people feel like they're connected to each other and the world around them. Um, and so in that way, I, uh, I like being a part of creating stability for other folks, making them feel like they're a part of a community. So going to, to fast forward to your experience at UNC, how did you transition from that experience to where you are right now with the News and Observer? Well, I got my start in actual practical journalism at the Daily Tar Heel. Um, I was a copy editor um, for the three years that I was at Carolina. Um, and so I got to work with a lot of really fantastic young journalists that were incredibly inspiring to me. Um, and then I had an internship at the Fort Bragg Paraglide newspaper um, while I was in college. And that gave me a huge amount of real life reporting experience. Um, and then after graduation at Carolina, I went on to work for a couple of community newspapers in Charlotte and then uh, did full-time city reporting um, in Greenville for three years. And then I came to the News and Observer where I started out covering Johnston County as a community news reporter, and now I do real-time, which is a very unique position. <laughs> but before we get to that, can you just tell me what it's been like to, to see the shifting role of community newspapers? We saw the NNO by the, the Durham Herald Sun, and we're seeing many community newspapers struggling today. What do you see as that role for community newspapers, given all these changes we're seeing? There has been so much change. I think you know, that goes without saying, we are continually evolving and trying to figure out how to survive while still meeting those needs of the community. And that is a really hard thing. And we, I think a lot of us struggle with that every day because we have such limited resources and we are trying our best to apply those resources to do the most good. And, you know, there, there are just certain things that we we don't have the people for you know i would have loved to go cover every christmas parade in the triangle or you know be there for all those community events but we just you know we're so limited and we've got to try to do the most good with 
the little that we have, unfortunately. And so the change is monumental. And I think it's something that we deal with on a daily basis is figuring out how to deploy those resources in the best possible way. Um, so the change is constant. It's, it's constantly in flux. But I think that there's always a need for community news. And I think that the community is always going to turn to its newspapers for that, for that reliable, accurate, timely news. Well, I, I want to transition to your time right now. As you mentioned, you're a real-time reporter with the Raleigh News and Observer. Real-time reporter. I can't think of a more vague possible title <laughs> than that. What do you do, Abby is, Bennett? <laughs> so the concept of the real-time reporter, when I started last December, it's actually been a year almost to the day. Um, we're past it a couple days from my anniversary of being a real-time reporter, but the concept was very nebulous at the beginning. And I think a lot of us who started um, in the position earlier than others sort of figured it out as we went along. But the, the purpose was to find stories, whether in the community or online, since people live on the internet now. Right. <laughs> Um, to find stories that people are most interested in and to maximize traffic and to maximize the stories and the presentation of the stories that we were doing to attract the most readers, to find what people are truly interested in, what people are talking about, where they live on the Internet, and to give that to them, to what do you, answer what do you, questions. What do, you, what do you say about the, the clickbait point? It's just to, to get clicks and it's not actual reporting. I think that that is a fair point if you aren't familiar with the types of stories that we've done. I think that here in Raleigh, um, I started out with a partner, Chris Chaffee, on the real-time team. He has since left us, and I have new teammates now, but it was very important to me and uh, my editor, Eric Frederick, and Chris that we focus on doing real-time locally, you know, finding what people in the triangle are talking about or things that they're excited about or things that they might be interested in and giving that to them and being hyper-local with it. Um, a lot of real-time teams have very different strategies. Some like to pull in national news and do local angles on it, things like that. But we really wanted to stay local and, and to really keep the focus on the Triangle and, and Raleigh specifically um, and all of, all of the cities surrounding Raleigh. Um, and we've gotten even better at it now with the partnership that we have in Durham as well. Um, so. My job could be anything on any given day. I have done so many different stories. Um, the real-time team has led the coverage for the News and Observer on um, the disappearance and subsequent death of three-year-old Mariah Woods in Onslow County this past week. A very, very tragic story, but that is an example of the kind of thing that we do. It is something that has you know, really captivated the entire North Carolina and national community, really, um, this story of this poor little girl. Um, but we, you know, we are the first line of defense in the newsroom. When news breaks, it falls to us first and foremost, regardless of what it is, because that is our job, is to be first responders. Mm -hmm. um, and so that could be anything. It could be sports news. It could be um, Do you have weather. one story that stands out from, from you over this past year that you've worked on? Um, I, I do have um, one, one story that I really, really loved working on was one that I worked on with Chris Chaffee, and it was about an Uber driver in Wilmington, North Carolina, who was pulled over 
by um, some Wilmington police officers and um, a couple of sheriff's deputies. And this Uber driver decided that he wanted to film his interaction with the police using his cell phone. But the officers involved told him that he was not allowed, he was not legally allowed to film police. Which is, of course, inaccurate and misinformation. <laughs> <Which is> absolutely <laughs> untrue. Um, but what the officers apparently were unaware of was that this Uber driver was also an attorney. <laughs> and he knew, he knew that it was um, perfectly legal for him to be able to film his interaction with those officers. And so we... We heard about the story because it was being reported locally in Wilmington, and Chris and I found the Uber driving attorney on Facebook, and we reached out to him, and he allowed us to use the videos that he had captured, and he gave us an interview, and we wrote the story, and we wrote subsequent stories um, when the officer who told him that it was illegal and wrongfully so was suspended. Um, so that was one story that was exciting to report because we were doing a public service as well. We were able to educate people that, you know, you're absolutely allowed to film police officers um, regardless of, of what they, <laughs> what they may say or what they may imply. Right. Um, and we were able to, to bring that story to light. Well, on that note, I just want to take a quick break and we'll get more to, to talking about real-time reporting, the NNO reinvention currently taking place. You're listening to State of the Media. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of State of the Media. If you like what you're hearing, then you'll love my weekly newsletter. Each week, I provide updates on the latest news I am breaking. To subscribe, just visit brianranderson.com. Again, that's B-R-Y-A-N-R-A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N dot com. Now back to the show. Hello and welcome back to State of the Media. I'm your host, Brian Anderson. We're here with Abby Bennett, a real-time reporter at the Raleigh News and Observer. Thanking her uh, so much. Abby, thank you for taking the, the time out of your day. It's, it's, uh, it's such a, a nebulous role, like you were, you were saying, being a, a real-time <laughs> reporter, an all-encompassing job. And I want to get more to the larger strategy behind that position. Uh, there's a new NNO reinvention that's taken place. Can you tell me a little bit about what that's looked like for you? Absolutely. Um, and I think the real-time reporters were sort of the, the beginning wave of reinvention because what we do is a broader scope of what we're hoping everyone applies in their job. Um, and so reinvention was a real focus on digital for us because, you know, I think as a company, we've realized that we've been saying that we were digital first for a very long time, and so have many other newspapers, but that it, it simply wasn't true. We were not prioritizing digital over print. You know, we, our days still revolved around the print newspaper and, and what stories were going to be on the front page and, you know, how we were going to plan that. And now we have opened ourselves up to to really just focusing on the news of the day and presenting that in the most reader-friendly way. You know, our headlines have changed dramatically. You know, they're, more they're much more specific. They're, they are. They're more social. They're meant to be more conversational. They're meant to meet people where they are and to tell people why they should care about this story, you know, to give them the significance right off the bat or to create curiosity so that people will want to learn more about that story. Um, 
so that's been a huge shift newsroom wide. And I think that it has been, I know that it has been hugely successful because now we have tools where we can track what our readers are clicking on, how long they're reading things. And so we can see directly into, you know, how our readers are engaging with our content and, and how they are consuming everything that we give them. Um, and, and just for listeners and, who are unfamiliar, most newsrooms, including the NNO, use Chartbeat, which is a, a, yes. a program that basically allows you to do what you, you described to measure how many clicks you're getting, to, to measure who's looking at your your news content to see which articles they're they're looking at more frequently, and that's sort of the the tool behind the machine. Right, absolutely. It gives us that data in real time so that we can see how our content is performing, and so that we can make sure that we're serving our readers to the best of our ability. And like I said earlier, deploying our limited resources in the best possible way to reach the most people. Because at the end of the day we can write a story and it can be the most fantastic story, but if it is not crafted to reach our readers, if it does not have a headline that's appealing, if it doesn't have video or photo that people are going to pay attention to, or that's going to grab their attention while they're scrolling through Facebook, then the most carefully written, well-reported story is going to go completely unnoticed. You've been at this, you've been at this for a year. What makes a good story? You've, you've seen some improvement with, um, engagement and readership. What makes a good story and what do NNO readers care about? Well, starting off with what NNO readers care about, I think that, you know, stories that do particularly well for us are our sports stories, our politics stories, um, and any story that really has uh, conflict or uh, addresses a problem that is widespread or meets people where they are, you know, specifically things that affect them. You know, people love our restaurant news and our development news. Um, you know, our IKEA stories have done fantastically. Um, IKEA is coming to carry. All- <laughs> right. Any stories like that that affect people directly do really, really well. And people obviously love to read about the drama and the conflict of politics. And, you know, we have an enormous fan base here for college sports here in the Triangle. Um, So those stories all do very well. And and they have always done very well for us. But I think what the difference has been with reinvention is understanding that little tweaks that we make in the keywords and the search engine headline and the social media headline that we write can reach more people. So we're doing the same things that we would do otherwise. We're just presenting it in a slightly different way to connect with readers more effectively. And we've learned that through trial and error, but also through watching those numbers um, and, and combing through that data to see what works and what doesn't, what types of headlines connect and which ones don't. What do you say to the more print-focused reader or a a more older generation that has been resistant to to some of these changes? I remember John Drescher, the executive editor for the News and Observer, he had a a column uh, and and basically compared uh, the reinvention to, to spinach at one point, saying that we're going to provide you with <laughs> the all-famous spinach metaphor and, and that we're going to provide you with uh, the same content but packaged in a, a different way. But that sparked some fear among people that the quality is going to, to be diminished. What do you say to those readers who, who still worry that things aren't the same? 
Well, I, th- I think that, you know, I won't speak for anybody else, but I can speak for myself and I can speak to the atmosphere in the newsroom with reinvention. And I think that there is no group of people in a newsroom more dedicated to bringing accurate, timely, quality reporting than there is in this newsroom here in Raleigh. We have never compromised quality, and I do not foresee that we ever will in the pursuit of any type of change. I think what has been important about reinvention, um, and, and we've all had to learn this as we go along, is learning that, you know, connecting with our readers and making our headlines, you know, maybe more conversational or rewording them or using different phrases and headlines and things like that can get a reader to connect with a story and to click on it where they otherwise may not. And that gets them the information that they need to know that gets them to our reporting that is so important. Um, And that's, that's the way our society is now with everyone living on the internet. We're no longer, or there are not as many of our readers depending on the print paper and the, the design of the print paper to tell them which stories are most important. Now people are scrolling through on their computers or on their phones or tablets, and they're seeing all of these stories individually. So we have to make sure that we're packaging each of them with care individually. So the headline and the art and the share text, the text that you see on a Facebook post or, you know, the summary, everything that goes along with a story, with a link is particularly crafted to connect with the reader. And I think that we're, we're paying a lot more attention and a lot more care to that in addition to all of the care we put into the reporting. Um, so I think really it, it, it's, it's more- It's a, it's a more reaction it's to the more, reader changes, the shift in who's yes, reading the content. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. It is, it is us taking very, very seriously the reader's habits and the reader's desires um, because fewer people are subscribing to the print newspaper and more and more people, you know, for, for more than a decade now have been getting their news primarily on the internet. And we, we have to adapt to that. We have to change that and we have to be there for our readers and where they are. We have to be there for them and where the majority of them are. And we have to take that very, very seriously because we do care about our readers and we do care about reaching as many of them as possible because the news that we put out, we very strongly believe is important to this community. And we want to make sure that we're engaging with the community wherever they are. And if that changes, if you know Facebook goes away and there's another platform, we will be there to adapt to that as well. Right. The, the last thing I, I sort of wanted to to end on, and I forgot to mention at the top of the show, I'm I'm still a correspondent with the NNO, and I'm talking to a, a colleague right now at the NNO, so I want to make sure I, I'm transparent and making that clear. But I wanted to ask about professional reporting advice you'd, you'd give to other people. Uh, right now, particularly with college students and and younger journalists, what's your best advice for them going forward to adapt to some of these changes that we've been talking about? Well, I think one of the hurdles as a journalist in the industry is it's easy to feel overwhelmed by all of the new tools and technology available to us. But having the attitude that those things are exciting new ways to connect with our readers and to do our jobs in a better, more efficient way, you know, just 
it's so easy to get overwhelmed and there's so many new things and you're constantly having to learn in this job. And so you definitely have to be willing to roll with the punches and adapt very, very quickly to every change and to make yourself familiar with all of these new places people are spending their time on the internet. And, you know, so being adventurous and being excited about, you know, this new app or that new website or, you know, what have you is a huge advantage um, in this industry, certainly. Um, but as far as reporting uh, advice, I think that the, the most important advice I can give to young reporters or reporters in college or reporters just getting started is to just always listen, get out of the way of your own interviews and really um, spend your time listening and let people tell you their stories and let, you know, let people open up to you and, and don't make any assumptions coming into an interview. You know, I've, I've had so many people surprise me and, and interviews go in a completely different direction, uh, positively so, uh, in the past that that's something that I have really learned and, and valued is just being a really, really good listener and, and letting people tell you their own stories. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the, the Wilmington story uh, about the Uber driver earlier in the show. H how do you go from a point of not having any real information uh, about uh, an event that's taking place outside and tracking people down and how'd you find the Uber driver? You said you, you found him on Facebook. What advice would you give we to did. people who start off like you and Chris did on square zero, ground zero, where you don't know where to turn to? Well, I think that's a really important part of our jobs and, and any journalist's job really is, uh, you know, part of being connected on the internet and being familiar with all the tools available to you. Not only does it let you reach your readers, but it also lets you reach your sources. Um, so, Chris and I, assuming <laughs> that the Uber driver had a Facebook page, we searched for him and we found him and we found that he had posted some of the videos already to his personal Facebook page. And, you know, we, we shot in the dark, reached out to him, sent him a message and he responded immediately, you know, and, and it doesn't always work out that well. Um, but it, we have so many more avenues for reaching people now. It used to be go, <laughs> go flip through the phone book. But now, you know, we can reach people on Twitter and Facebook and all of these different platforms to connect with sources or to find, you know, first person, um, first person uh, sources and to find, you know, primary source documents or photos or videos. You it's know, easier than ever before. Wealth. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It is so much easier than ever before. And there is a wealth of content available, user generated content, things that our readers are taking photos of or videos or talking about. And that's really what's important um, to the real time team is to make sure that we keep abreast of all of that, you know, where our community is, what they're talking about, what they're interested in, so that we can bring that to them so we can answer their questions or we can dispel rumors. We've done right. a lot of that um, and things like that. Last one I had for you. I usually like to end on an optimistic note, but I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna change the pace this time. What is the biggest challenge? Uh, what is the biggest challenge to journalism today? Ooh, that is a tough one. We have so very many challenges, <laughs> but I think, 
And and I do not say that in a, in a negative way. This job is it's a very challenging one. It is. It is. And I, I would not want anyone to have any reservations about that. It is a very challenging job because you're constantly learning and constantly adapting, and you have to be ready for anything at any time. Some of us relish that, <laughs> but not everyone does. So I think, I think the biggest challenge is um, the industry faces so many hurdles and there is so much change that it can be demoralizing for a lot of people um, because, you know, you come into work and it's, it's a new challenge every single day. And that can wear down on a lot of people, um, even people who are very in love with this job in this in- industry. Um, it's a lot. Um, but keeping a positive attitude about it and having coworkers and a team around you who are just as dedicated as you is a huge help. Um, I know that that's the case here in Raleigh, but morale is, is an issue in the industry. You know, you work long hours. Um, very few people go into this to get, you know, to make millions of dollars. Um, <laughs> and, you and, get, is, and you get lots is. of praise in the process. Everybody loves what you're writing all the time. It's amazing. <laughs> Hey, in fairness, I have gotten a lot of really, really positive feedback um, on my work in my time uh, with the News and Observer. But yes, there is a lot of <laughs> there are a lot of people who are not uh, fans of your work all the time. But you know, you take that in stride. That's part of the job as well. Um, but you know, it, it's it's the morale's morale the challenge. The, yeah, gotcha. absolutely, and and constantly having to you know having to work to keep that up. I think among ourselves, um, but having a great group of people around you and, and, you know, newsrooms across the country are filled with fantastic journalists who want to help each other and who feel like part of a team and the camaraderie is, is a big part of battling that morale issue, I think. Well, on that nice uplifting (laughs) note there, uh, I want to thank you for, for coming on State of the Media, Abby. It's been a pleasure having you. No problem. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. I really appreciate it. And we'll be back next week with a brand new edition of State of the Media. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Brian Anderson. See you soon.